Lord, I pray that would be our perspective today, that you would cause us to see you more fully, more completely, and love you more deeply. It's in the precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Grab a seat, and if you wouldn't mind grabbing your Bibles. <clears throat> Is that good? <laughs> no, trying to put me in the baptismal. I know how this works. So we are going to have baptisms here in just a little bit. <clears throat> um, this morning, we're going to continue uh, in a series that we've started uh, a while ago now. Um, we're going to have you go to Luke 10. Sorry, I didn't tell you where to take your Bibles to go to. So go to Luke chapter 10 with me, if you don't mind. We're going to be in a couple of different passages today. Uh, tracing the story of a very familiar figure in Scripture, but one who I think we need to understand a, a little bit better than, than maybe we have understood her to be um, previous to this. So, so we are in, in Luke chapter 10. I'm just going just gonna to go ahead and read the first text that we're going to be looking at, starting in, in, verse, in verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says this. While they were traveling, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her to give me a hand. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about many things. But there's one thing that is necessary. And Mary has made the right choice. And it will not be taken away from her. So a story that we're, almost all of us are familiar with. It's a story where Jesus enters a home. Martha being the hospitable one. She is the one who welcomes him. And, and, and while she's doing the work of, of serving the, the meal. Serving the people who are there. While she's running from person to person to person. And, and there's Mary sitting. Parents, have you ever seen your child do that to you? As you're hustling and bustling about trying to get everything done, you can possibly get done, and there your kid sits on the couch with their phone, doing important business, I'm sure. But here's different. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. This, this, is, this isn't as shocking to us as it should be when you read this. When you read this, this should cause you to step back. Because in this time period, the ancient Near East, in Jesus' time, male space and female space never mixed. Even in the house, even in a home, male space and female space never mixed. The females may enter into the space where the men were, but usually just to, to serve them food, and then they would disappear again. And to make it even more interesting, the, the phrase that's used in, our text is, in this text is, is that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's an idiom. It's a phrase that is used to convey something specific. To sit at the feet of someone was to be their disciple, was to hear their teaching, was to sit there before the feet of a rabbi, and that would have been even more shocking because no women were allowed to sit at the feet of rabbis. But there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. There's Martha, busy about all the things that need to be done. So basically, what the text is trying to paint for you is this picture. Martha is behaving, and Mary is misbehaving. And so Martha comes to Jesus and asks a, a, a good question. I mean, she, she brings the situation to the attention of Jesus and says, Jesus, could you help me out here? 
I got work to do, and Mary's just sitting there at your feet listening to you teach. I mean, there's women are supposed to be doing the work here. We're not supposed to just be sitting and listening to you, Jesus. And in the tenderness of the voice of Jesus comes through when he repeats her name. Martha, Martha. And, and, and Martha's expecting Jesus to shoo Mary back into the kitchen with the women. But instead, what, what Jesus does is he points out to Martha that waiting on her guests has caused her to become distracted and pulled away. So, so because of that, Jesus' rebuke comes to her instead of, of to Mary. Her, Martha's good intentions have choked out what matters most. She's, she's so busy with the doing of the moment that soon there's not going to be a moment. She's so busy about doing the work that she's not sitting at the feet of the one and when that's Jesus, that's a big miss. So Jesus responds very lovingly and kindly. You are worried and upset about many things, Martha. But Mary has made the right choice, and it won't be taken away from her. Listen, this is not a story that contrasts busyness and laziness. Okay, it's... It shines the spotlight on Mary at this moment. And what it says is this. Mary has made what Jesus says is the right choice, the best choice. And she has done it in the face of social norms, cultural expectations, and cultural pressures that would have pushed her away from the feet of Jesus. And what Jesus says is, I welcome Mary, not, not just defend her right to, to sit there and to learn from him, but he made clear the priority it was supposed to be to learn from him. How about you? How much do you do for Jesus? Just think that over, just for a second. Don't, don't shout it out loud. I don't, I don't care. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody. Um, how much do you do for Jesus? Church, Bible study, small group, um, youth group, FCA, Young Life, Sunday school worship team, greeter, staff member, deacon, elder. I mean, what do you, how much do you do for Jesus? Those are all great things. But how often do you prior, prioritize the moments like Mary did? To sit and listen to Jesus. Brings us to our next text John chapter 11, so the next book over. Yet another familiar story. John chapter 11. Start reading in verse 1, kind of work our way through the story. A man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany was his name, the village of Mary, her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent a message to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, 
he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Anybody see what just happened? Let me, let me read that last verse to you one more time. Um, 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 let's start at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Th- that, that would be similar to my wife going into the basement. We have kind of a sketchy basement, one of those old house basements, you know, like home alone creature living in the, in the, the, the okay? So it's a little, little creepy. And so my wife goes in the basement. And if I'm upstairs sitting there reading, doing nothing, I hear from downstairs this blood-curdling scream, Frank, help! I need help! That would be me saying, oh, I love you so much, I'll be there Wednesday. When we hear about the delay of Jesus... Maybe when we experience the delay of Jesus in our own lives, we can often slip into this, this critical thinking that Jesus is being cruel or unkind. I mean, how, how could he possibly say he cares about me if he doesn't run every time I'm in trouble? But this story isn't about cruelty at all. The, the, Jesus says, okay, so now it's time for us to go back to Judea, verse 7, and and the disciples like, Jesus, listen, we can't go back there. They want to kill you there. So we should stay outside the city. And, and Jesus just kind of works his way, his argument with them. It says, listen, verse 11. He told them, I love this part, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. So the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be fine. Come on, guys. Even Jesus says that, verse 13. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly. That means the idiot's guide to the Bible. Lazarus has died. Got it? Good. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. So now let's go to him. Sometimes the delay or what we see as a delay, is in fact God doing two things. Verse 4 tells us it's God making sure that he's the one that gets the greater glory. And then again here in verse 15, it's so that it will help our ability to believe that when he says he's our God, he means he's our God. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. And as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said, well, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the, uh, last, the last day. She, she says, listen, I, I know, if you had been here, he never would have died. And Jesus says, okay, I know he's dead, but he's going to, to rise again. And she says, I believe that too. In the last day, there's going to be a resurrection. Many Jews, most Jews, believed <clears throat> excuse me, that on the judgment day, that, that, that God is going to return and is going to raise them from the dead. Okay, 
and he's going to join them uh, at the Temple Mount. Now, now what's crazy, when you go to, this, this whole idea, by the way, came from the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah said that, that on the Mount of Olives, the resurrection is going to begin, um, and, and, and evidently, um, supposedly, Zechariah is actually buried right there on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the Kidron Valley, overlooking the city of Jerusalem, looking right at the Temple Mount. In fact, there are between um, um, 70 and 150,000 tombs right there on this hill. It is it's daunting to look at. It's actually almost funny because they're just crammed in and they are paying major, major bucks to be buried there. And here's why. The Jews believe that if the resurrection begins right there on the Mount of Olives, they're going to cross this little valley, get to the other side of the valley to the Temple Mount. Well, all of them are paying big bucks to get buried on the Mount of Olives and all of them are buried with their feet facing the Temple Mount lying this way. So when the resurrection happens, they just have to get up and start walking. So it's a common belief, even to this day. Martha says, I know he's going to be brought back to life, but that's not what I wanted. If you had been here, he would never even have died. Jesus says to her in verse 25, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the, 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 the one who comes into the world. Jesus looks at her right in the face and asks this poignant question. says, I'm the resurrection of life. Do you believe this? And she says, I know the right answers. You're the Messiah. You're the divine Son of God. You're the one that, that all of Israel has waited for. Our expectations have been fulfilled in you. Yes. No. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? See, the problem is, is that Martha's words were 100% belief, but that's not the way she was living. How do you know that, Frank? Fast forward a few verses. Jesus makes his way to her brother's tomb and says, roll back the stone. And Martha is the one, oh, remember, the one who believes, says, hold on, he dead. Don't open that. He's going to stink. But Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? While Martha expressed the right answers, those answers didn't change her life. Do they change yours? Or, or do you just have this, this massive amount of Bible memory in your head, but, but it has touched none of your life? Martha, being the organizer, driver, planner that she is, and tells, tells Mary in verse 28 that Jesus is here. So look at verse 28. Having said this, Martha goes back and calls for her sister Mary, saying in private to her, the teacher is here and is calling for you. So as soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him Jesus had not come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So the Jews who were with Mary in the house, consoling her, saw Mary got up quickly and went out. So they followed her, thinking she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying, when Jesus saw the, her crying, and when Jesus saw the Jews who had come with her crying, he was 
deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Let me just help you with that. That deeply moved is a poor translation of that word. He was angry. We'll talk about that in a second. Where have you put him, they asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Caught up in the emotion of people he loves. Caught up with the overwhelming hurt. The sympathy, the empathy that he had for these people he loved, caught up in the frustration and the anger that these people keep missing the point, Jesus is moved to tears. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, look at how he loved him. Look, look how, he, how he loved him. So Martha expresses with words. Mary expresses through tears. She falls at his feet says virtually the same thing Martha did. I know you could have prevented this. And he is so overwhelmed as he looks around at all of these people who have been so very close to him, listening to virtually every word he said, getting to this place in their life where they have a genuine need that only he can meet. No one else can meet this need. Only he can meet it. And as he is standing before them, the very resurrection and the life, the one who holds the keys to death, They're weeping uncontrollably because they have no hope. He's the resurrection and the life. And all these people are mourning like death is final. Hey, I I do, I want you to come back next week, but just just in case you're wondering what next week's message is going to be, death doesn't win. (laughs) Sin doesn't win. And let me tell you this morning, if Jesus can defeat death, What can't he defeat? If Jesus can defeat death, he can certainly defeat anything that you can't overcome, can't he? Then then, then I'm just going to, I'll blow through this part real quick. Verse 38, Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone was lying against it. I love this imagery. Again, my heart hurts for people who can't close their eyes and picture these things. So just picture it just for a minute. Jesus Jesus comes to this cave. There's the the stone in front of it. And Jesus, with all of these people who are still weeping with Mary because the the dear brother Lazarus is gone. And and, and as he stands there and he looks and he says, okay, remove the stone. And people had to look at each other, particularly after Martha says, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead for four days. That's where the King James really wins the day on that verse, though. It's been four days. He stinketh. I love that. (laughs) Jesus said to her, Martha, didn't I tell you? If you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they removed the stone. This prayer is one of the all-time best prayers in all of Scripture. Listen to it. Put yourself in the crowd. As the stone has been moved, you know there's a dead man inside. You've been crying for hours with the family. And here's the man who is the resurrection of life standing before you. And it says, Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. Now, listen to this part. I know, I know, I know. You always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so they might believe you sent me. Doesn't that give you goosebumps? Jesus is like, I I know, Dad, I know. It's because of them, though, okay? I want to make sure. Okay, cool, we good? Okay, good. (laughs) And after he shouted with a loud voice, the one who is the resurrection 
and the life. The only one who has the power to call a dead man back to life does just that, but please don't miss the fact he does it with specificity. He doesn't stand before the tomb, oh, and say, let me make sure I get it right, sorry, I'll <laughs> come out! He doesn't do that. Because if he did, every person who's ever died would have come back to life. That's the power Jesus has. No, Jesus stood there and said, Lazarus, the rest of you can wait. Lazarus, come on. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said, do the guy a favor, unwrap him and let him go. Mary and Martha stood there watching this. Mary and Martha felt it like very few other people because that was their brother. Go to the next chapter, John chapter 12. This is a familiar story that's told in three different gospels. It's told in Matthew, it's told in Mark, and it's told in John, okay? I didn't offend them. They're getting ready to be baptized. It's okay. So here we go, Mark chapter, sorry, John chapter 12. Verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, go figure. Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, She anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair so the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. And Jesus answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. So so, so here we are, the Passion Week. Jesus is in Bethany. It's about two miles east of Jerusalem. He goes to the home. In In the book of Mark, we find he goes into Simon the leper's house. We don't know anything about Simon the leper. We just, his name sounds like Bob the Builder, Simon the leper. I don't know. Um, We assume, we assume that probably Jesus healed him at some point in his earthly ministry, but they're at Simon the leper's house. They're in Bethany. There's some familiar people in them. There's Martha. I love the fact Martha's in somebody else's house serving dinner. That's awesome. You got friends like that, don't you? It's like, get out of my kitchen. Um, there's Martha. Lazarus is there. I love, I love the way it says this. It's kind of it's kind of subtle. It says, Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. I don't know what he's doing. When they reclined at the table, they would always lay on their, their left their left elbow, and they would lean into the, the food would be here, and they would eat. And so I can actually picture Lazarus being like, hey, look, I'm dead. Now I'm alive. I don't know. Sorry. That was, that was a very boring moment in Starbucks this week that that came to mind. So. <laughs> so they're getting ready to dig into their food, right? They're getting ready to eat. And as they're reclining on the floor that way, which is very uncomfortable, there's no way, I'd, I mean, I would lose a lot of weight. It's hard to eat that way. But there's motion in the room all of a sudden. Somebody begins to walk in really slowly across the room, holding something in her hands. 
And as she walked past disciples that were planning the table, the smell, this sweet smell, was kind of wafting from behind her, and they kept picking it up. Have you ever followed a baby with a full diaper? This is far better, same concept. But as she is walking with it, slowly, she opens her hands, and, and then the, the, the parallel account in Mark actually tells us that she's carrying an alabaster vase, or vase if you're super fancy. And alabaster is this, this material, pr- pretty easy to, to carve and form and manipulate if you do it really slowly. Lots of different types of alabaster, just for the record. So, so the, the, the vases or vases that would be put together um, in a sense with perfume, and it would have these tall, skinny necks with a little bit of a, uh, a bowl at the bottom of it. And, and, and it would be almost, not fully translucent, but it would, if you put it in the window and the sun would shine through it, you could see the light come through it. So many times what they would do is, is take these perfume jars and they would put them in the windowsill and the sunlight would be gorgeous coming through it. But also, but also, if any breeze came through, it was, it was also not just translucent, but it was a little porous too. So you'd get some of that sweet smell from the perfume, kind of like the original Glade plug-in. Okay? And this one that she's carrying is filled with nard. It's a very valuable perfume. It's found only in the Nepal region of the world almost 3,000 miles away from where they are. And it was powerful and strong and had the consistency of an egg white. She comes to Jesus as he's reclining to eat. She holds that alabaster vase and she crushes it. And the nard pours out on the feet of Jesus and, and, then, and, then, and then the dinner gets weird because then she... Uh, loosens her hair, which was unheard of in these days. You, women did not allow their hair to fall. But she loosens her hair, and she gets to the floor, and she begins to wipe the nard with her hair, both, both rubbing it into his feet as well as, as trying to, to clean it up off the, off the ground. And this is, this is unheard of. Not only is letting your hair down unheard of for women in this time, but, but, but to touch somebody else's feet. I mean, even in our day, no. In, in her day, that, that is super degrading, which is why John the Baptist said there is one coming whose sandal I'm not even worthy to unlatch. I mean, that's how low he was seeing himself. There, this, is, this, is, this is big. This is a huge deal. And Mary's willing to humiliate herself like this in front of all these people in the middle of a dinner and have that communicate what she thinks about and how she feels about Jesus. This is a gift of worship, an act of devotion, and it's total. Because as soon as she crushed that alabaster vase, there was no putting the nard back in it. The fragrance would have stuck around for days, maybe even weeks. Um, <laughs> it filled the whole house, it says. It's a little side. Uh, I really, really wanted to get some of that smell in here, so I ordered nard. It's not as expensive anymore probably fake, tried like crazy to figure out ways to get the drifting smell just to come at you. It was either that or a baby diaper, so I went with nard. Um, I will tell you this, I was not effective at getting it in the air, but I was really good at getting it in my clothes. And that smell does not dissipate. So that means fast forward a week as Jesus is being led away to be crucified. Guess what smell? coming off his clothing. 
And Judas was ticked, right? How dare you waste this expensive perfume, dumping it all over him, letting it hit the floor. What were you thinking? Now think about Mary's reaction all of a sudden, right? She's doing this, this act of devotion, this beautiful moment of worship, and then somebody is furious with her. It's almost like your child who's done that beautiful piece of artwork on the wall and then come to show you. They're like, look, I made a frog. And you come in, you're like, with permanent marker? Oh, no. I mean, there's a very different feeling from what the child thought he was going to feel like to what he felt like afterwards. Mary, similarly. Why didn't we give this money to the poor? Look how much good it could have done. Now, he was not wrong. It names the price, 300 denarii. 300 denarii is a year's salary. One year's salary. Not a year's savings, a year's salary. So how long would it take you to save up a year's salary? Another way to get in perspective. Um, feeding of the 5,000, when Jesus tells the disciples, no, you, you, you feed them. The disciples came to Jesus and said, listen, there's 5,000 people here. We ain't got 200 denarii to feed them all. 200 denarii. That means, if math works, 300 denarii will feed 7,500 people. So Judas isn't wrong, but we also know Judas wasn't concerned about the poor, was he? Jesus steps in. Stop. Leave her alone. She had this perfume for this exact moment to prepare me for my burial. He makes the statement, the poor you will always have, but you won't always have me. That does not excuse our responsibility to the poor. It doesn't say that, oh, the poor are always going to be problems, so you don't have to worry about them. It says, yeah, work with the poor, but not right now because that's not the point. The point right now is this singular person who sits before you, and there's another singular person in this room who understands who I actually am, and it ain't any of you, boys. It's Mary. Maybe it's from all that time she spent sitting at his feet concerned about learning all she could from him, turning her back on everybody else's expectations and societal norms and cultural appropriateness. Maybe it's because she allowed her disappointment and brokenness to be expressed to him. She didn't hide the fact she was upset that he wasn't there when Lazarus died. Maybe it's because she watched with her own eyes as Jesus overcame that disappointment in a way only he can by calling Lazarus out of that grave. And now, as a result of her knowing him for real, she wasn't willing to hold anything back. No matter how much it cost, she was giving him everything. And no matter what everybody else said, that's too much, too much, you're overdoing it, stop it, you're out of balance. What she understood is that too much isn't very much at all when you know who Jesus is. Her love for Jesus looked like an expensive act of beautiful worship. What does your love for Jesus look like? Ah, I'll give him an hour and a half on Sunday. You know what? Today we get to see right before our very eyes people who love Jesus. <laughs> and they're going to stand in front of you and they're going to tell you about their love for Jesus. They're going to follow his example. They're going to obey his clear command to publicly identify themselves right in front of you as witnesses. They're going to identify themselves with the death, burial, and resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. If you're a guest with us, baptism can seem bizarre, I know. They're not just coming to take a bath. Uh, they're, they're not coming to just get wet. They're not going for a swim. They're, they're not engaging in some ritual where afterwards we'll all do some weird chant, and aha, they're a child of God. No, they're already a child of God. Those who are coming this morning have already crossed the line from death to life. They're already a a child of God. They've been adopted into the family of God because they have found their salvation in Jesus Christ. So as they come, they're publicly identifying themselves with Jesus, saying, I want to be just like Jesus. Ready? Here's the picture. I want to be identified with his death as they go back, his burial as they go beneath the water, and his glorious resurrection to new life as they come out of the water. Man, we get to celebrate the love that these people have experienced in Jesus Christ, not because they're amazing people, but because they have an amazing God who saved them. So, church family, I know you know how to do this. If you're a guest with us, we'll give you one to warm up. But this is a big deal. Let's not be Judas. I like to think that if Uniontown was around when Mary started wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, there would be air horns and cowbells and lots of hooting and hollering. Because before our very eyes, what we got to see was someone who truly knew who Jesus was. And that's what we get to see this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks so much for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can celebrate with these folks as they come to follow you in believer's baptism. Thank you, Father, that we can celebrate their their obedience, their excitement, their enthusiasm. God, I pray that it would rub off on some of us. I pray that we would see you clearly through the testimony of their words of how you saved them. (laughs) Father, we love you. We pray that you would take this time and make much of your name because of it. For it's in the priceless and matchless name of Christ I pray. Amen.